John. Really? How are you? I'm looking at what equivocates to the Leaning Tower of Pisa, which is a stack of books on which I have a a um, pad and some other stuff is starting to lean over and fall on my desk, but it hasn't quite fallen over yet. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, <laughs> All your stuff? <laughs> now, I can't decide how I want to approach this. If I just want to push it over or if I want to try and take it apart. Take it apart. Hmm. I'm thinking that maybe the book's in there. I'm curious if there's any relationship to the books, to the book titles, the content, and its ability to stand under the pressure of gravity. Is that? Or is the that books. Too, well, just the whole stack of books. Oh. So I'm wondering if the, I'm wondering if the stack of books content, the stack of books content, is powerful enough to withstand <laughs> the force of gravity and not fall over. In other words, too big of a stretch, do you think? I don't know, but this is what brilliant minds think about during the day. (laughs) (laughs) This is the preoccupation. These are our dilemmas. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Meanwhile. (laughs) Meanwhile, the the world goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Marilyn's over there feeding the crows. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. I discovered they like eggs. Good morning or afternoon. Yeah, afternoon. Eggs? You know, you like chicken eggs? No, they I you know, I had made some soft boiled eggs and um when I, when I was peeling them, you know, a couple of them didn't peel right, so they're all kind of ugly. And yeah. I'm thinking to myself, I mean, they're still edible, right? But I don't know what came over me. I just thought, yeah, I wonder if the crows would eat eggs. And so I put them in a little dish and I put them up on the wall and um, sure enough, those eggs are gone. And I was like, what? So, and they're getting to know me, like really understand that I do this purposely for them and they wait for it. And they come from, I don't even know where because they, I can't see them. I can't see them in the trees and stuff, but they just know that I'm coming and uh, I'll leave them seeds and bread. And today I mix some sunflower seeds in with the eggs and I put it up on the wall, and then I just kind of stood back to see what would happen. Sure enough, they went over there and they ate those eggs. I don't, I don't know, but I'm not sure there's anything a crow wouldn't eat. Actually, um, hmm. they seem to be the, yeah, they seem to be the cleaners. You know, the, the gleaners and cleaners. The pigs of the air. <laughs> I was thinking though, I I had an experience with crows once with um, Chuck and Laura Loomis, and I. I was I was surprised. I went over to their house. They're friends of ours, and um, in uh, Kirkland, and there was they have this big, a large, like fifty pound bag of of um, dry food of some kind by the door. I never thought one way or the other. Um, but one morning I'm over there, and Chuck comes out and grabs a um, like a small cup of this food and he says watch this and he throws it in the front yard and I don't know how many crows showed up instantly like you're saying they're they're from nowhere you have no idea where they are and all of a sudden there's like I don't know 150 crows sitting yeah. in his trees wow just like that pop and and then he said oh yeah I do this every day wow so they're so they're you know it's like it's breakfast time at the Loomis house they show up and so I went over there again later and, and several times and it keeps going. So then there are other things happen. Like I'll be sitting at the table and maybe the, all of us will be there having a breakfast or a, a snack. And Laura will slide the window open on the right. They have a whole gang of windows along one side of the house. And um, a, a stellar jay will pop in, you know, like a blue jay will come up to the window and sit there and park. Like looking, and they're looking for food, and then she'll throw him a, you know, a little piece of food. He'll take off. They're pretty sure a squirrel will come up, and then she'll put some little nuts around. And the squirrel comes in the window, walks up, eats the nuts, puts them away. Very, very nice. I'm sitting like four feet from the squirrel, looking at him, 
And then he leaves. Pretty soon the J comes back. You know, it's like routine stuff in their house. I just love it. Love nature. It's just really fun to see, you know. And so um, it's like, I think so. I agree. I think so. And uh, you know, whether you're feeding the crows or the trees or whatever you're feeding, I think uh, there's a, there's a reward involved there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to watch it, to watch a, a to, to to sit and look at a seed come out of the ground, and then think about how the seed is programmed to become whatever it's going to become. You know, from an evolutionary process, how did that seed know it's going to become a pine tree or or a sugar pine as opposed to a something else pine? Or, you know, how does this stuff know this stuff? What is how does evolution change how we are so that so that we get to become become what we're supposed to be as opposed to something else when the matter essentially is just being restructured in the same stuff? But no, it's infinite it's, intelligence. And yes. Yeah, what's beautiful about that sentiment is that, you know, if you personalize it, it's like you can only be who you are. I mean, we can change. Obviously, we can change, but there's an absolute who we are. You know, I was thinking the other day when I was I was thinking about Modern Family. You've watched that show, right? Modern Family? No. Uh, never? I don't think so. should look it up. No. It's so funny. No, I, I watch National Geographic. Uh, okay. Just, just okay, Professor. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> okay, but in any case, I mean they're all reruns now, and you know I didn't, I, I wasn't one to watch TV at all. But anyway, Gloria, um, what is her name? Well, people would know, but anyway, she's she's Spanish and she has talks with an accent and stuff, and I'm watching her. And they were doing these clips of her, like, you know, that she should be paid the most because she struggles the most with English, you know, trying to act and then say these words, whatever's in the script. And um, I'm just looking at her going, thinking to myself, you know, she's beautiful. She's just a beautiful woman. And the light that comes off of her and the 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 humor that just bounces off of her. And, you know, she, I mean, of course, you know, she's beautiful. You know, people love her. But. Sometimes we struggle to accept the fact nobody can take that away from you. That is who you are. Like an orange tree or an apple tree, that's who you are. Nobody can take that away from you. And that's why it's just so important to really understand and embrace, who am I? It's a great metaphor. If it's not a metaphor, I don't know, but that's a great explanation anyway. Um, It doesn't answer some of the questions from a uh, from a um, from the other side point of view, I guess, of the evolution of the seed itself. But but so so the singularity of personality, then the singularity of personality is built into the universe before has always been there. Has always been there. I believe that we are a stroke of God's hand. So yes, it's there. The intention is absolutely there. The intention and the purpose for the fruit that we give is already there. And what prevents us from tapping into or, or producing fruit is the veil of negativity, the fear, you know, the, the constant chasing of the dollar and the, the poverty, you know, the idea of having to provide and do and constantly be proving who we are, our value, it really steals our real identity. And if we could just slow down enough, just slow down and stop trying to hit all the marks that society says you have to hit, then you, you know, you come out of your shell and you start to realize this is what I love. And if you love it, you need to do that. Have you heard the phrase, there's a power in books? No. Well, coming along to your your hand of God explanation of who we are and who everything else is, uh, and my question about the power of books, I'm just going back to my first question then. 
And that is, is the power of these books keeping them from falling over on my desk? Because they look like they're going to fall over. But there's some pretty good books here. You know, No Ordinary Time, uh, an Irving Stone movie, uh, I mean, a book, mm-hmm. um, Benjamin Franklin, um, mm-hmm. Philosophy for Dummies, that's my book. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, War and Peace, War and Peace, wow, in that mm-hmm. stack. Uh, the Art of Happiness, uh, Handbook for the Living. The Art of Happiness. Uh huh. I have that. What is what is the philosophy in there? That, well, that's that's the Dalai Lama. Oh, that's, that's right. I have that book. That's right. That's yeah. what yeah. Okay. I've got Sun Tzu's Art of War in this stack. Yes, of course. I've got Annika Harris's Conscious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got some. I got another dummies book down there, but what I'm curious about is in the is in the great scheme of things of this conversation about how things are preordained to be what they are. Does that power? Do, do our words that go into a book give the book the power of our words? And if we give the book the power of our words, then does the book have the power to withstand some of the forces of nature that may be working against it? Ah. Uh, Yes. Is that too big a philosophical stretch? No, I would say yes. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Because it was created. Because the the infinite intelligence um, is working through the mind that works through the hand to create that body of work. And it's living. So it passes and that's through. Why, so it does. It passes yeah, through. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why, I mean, you and I and, you know, every reader out there and lover of books we understand that there's energy coming off those books even if you don't read it you're surrounding yourself with intelligence Uh that's what i was waiting for (laughs) yes (laughs) okay (laughs) no okay why why are you waiting for that (laughs) because i believe it oh (laughs) (laughs) i just want to know if it came to you through some form of of, you know, okay. if you believed it too, apparently okay. you do. Yes, I That's do. Good. Absolutely, <laughs> good. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, I think all these books have power. Everything does. Everything does. It's our intention. It's how we see things, you know, how we interpret the world around us. Like, I mean, I'm living in magic all day long. I mean, I'm just literally just loving my life. Every moment of the day, even like right now before you called, um, I was opening the, the blinds and I see a box on my desk and it's a deck of crystals. It's called, and there's 50 cards in there in this deck and each one of them has a crystal on it and their definition and this and that. And I, I kind of did a double take and I looked at it and I knew that <laughs> it, it instantly it took me back to when I bought the box. I didn't need it at all. And it was one of those, you know, you're at the register type of buys. And I looked at it and I thought, well, I don't know. What the heck? Throw it on. So I threw it on. And um, the first card that I pulled out of there was a dioptis. The dioptis is what's in my queen ring. Wow. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what? So, no, yeah, so, okay, I got the story a little wrong. I pulled that card out first, and then I decided to buy the whole deck. That's what happened. So okay, then, okay. Okay. So then this morning, I'm looking at it, it's on my desk, and I thought, all right, well, let's see, you know, there's 50 cards in here, and anyway, I'm thinking, I'm not going to even think about it, I'm just going to, you know, and I pulled the card out, guess which one it was, a dioptis. and I'm like, are you kidding me, after 50 cards at random, again, I picked so it's it is just fascinating to me. And that happened this morning. That happened just right now before you called me. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It says Dioptis is associated with the astro- astrological sign of Taurus and the planet Venus. An exceptionally rare stone, Dioptis takes its name from the Greek dia, meaning through, and optima meaning to see. According to ancient lore, Dioptis would strengthen the sight of those who gazed upon it, a quality it shares with the emerald. So, 
I was at a jewelry store with with Arabella, you know, I don't know, a few weeks ago, and I was telling him this story. Um, his name is Sammy, and he had all these like Egyptian artifacts in there, and and uh, paintings, and then the jewelry, and this and that. And of course, we we're just sitting there talking. So it got to, you know, my story about the ring, and um, I told him that it was a dioptis. And after describing it to him, he goes, "That's an emerald." And I said, you know, I thought it was an emerald too, but I'm pretty sure it's a dioptic. He goes, it's an emerald. I'm telling you, it's an emerald. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I'm going to, I haven't taken the ring back to him, you know, for him to verify, but um, it's one of the two, but I'm, I don't know why, but I think it's a dioptic just by the shape. In either case, I guess they have the same properties, so it doesn't really matter splitting hairs, but it's a pretty big stone. Well, I mean, it sounds to me like there's a huge difference in value. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you care because it's your ring, but uh, it could be interesting at least to know. Right. Um, I have um, I have a blue piece of glass in my class ring. I don't know what <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I know. All those things. I don't even know if I still have mine. Hmm. Yeah, I've got um, life. Uh, well, you know, it's kind of funny those life boxes. I have a couple of boxes of uh, of uh, you know badges, little mm-hmm. pins, lapel pins, sure. various organizations and things and and societies and and um, what have you. And on the wall, I just noticed too, I've got some stuff. Um, you know, the, the the society of this or that, whatever it is, and. And um, I'm trying to figure out what I look at when I look at my walls. You know, what do I look at? What is, what's capturing my attention? And, or how do I change my thought process as my eyes course across my walls and I bump into stuff, you know, or do I look Describe at a drawer it. and imagine what's in there? Describe it. What do you, what do you see? Well, I, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll be looking at a, at a, at a, a picture of a, that my dad drew, for example, mm-hmm. a couple of pictures there, or I've got one of Maine Hall at the University of Montana. It was done by a guy named Coyle. I've got a um, starving artist stuff that people just do and I buy because I feel sorry for them. Uh, I've got mm-hmm. a great big poster of Napoleon because mm. uh, I like um, I like to study him. I don't admire him. I just like to study him. Uh, hopelessly flawed guy, but did a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, I have um, I flashlights, knives, wires, uh, books, uh, keyboards, uh, pelican cases, uh, books, horseshoes, uh, prop nuts. Uh, I got a Harvard Yale flag behind me. I've got a weasel, a stuffed weasel, right behind my back. I've got three skulls. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what I'm looking at. Cowboy hats. You have three skulls? Yeah, behind me, yeah. Three skulls. What kind of skulls? Human. Okay. <laughs> Ron? I didn't see that coming. Why? <laughs> Friends of mine. Yeah, no. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, they are okay. human, but they're not real. They're plastic. <laughs> uh, God. Okay. They're full, they're full size. Um, Why do you want those? Well, um... I use them uh, sometimes around Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, and I kind of I kind of like them. I think that they're I think that they're worth looking at in terms of mortality. Um, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> here's where you're going. Oh you know? my god! No. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, I learned about Halloween from my mother. She was she was full of life and fun, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, during Halloween, she would always do something that was you know that was that was standing would stand out, not just a costume. So one year, we 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 hooked together um, like a like a rip line that goes from one of the trees down to the side, walking around like you'd get a, or a zip line like you'd travel, you know, get out. The top of Grand Canyon or something. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, right. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, and then, 
since I was small, she'd put me up there and put a sheet over me, with over my head and my eyes. Uh-huh. And then when the kids would come up to the house, she would come out in this witch's costume. And when she was giving the candy, then I would be triggered to get on, to, to <laughs> leave the zip line and come swooping down across the top of the front porch and across saying ghostly things as I went by, <laughs> as if I were flying. <laughs> I bet that was a lot of fun. How old were you? Oh, it was. Oh, I don't know. I was three feet tall. I don't know what I was. Oh, I... my God. <laughs> that is cute. Yeah. I look around my room and I just see stories. Stories of your life? Yeah, just memories. You know, like, where did I get that and why do I have it? You know, it's just that everything is just so meaningful. I have a skull. What kind of skull? A crystal skull. Oh, that's it's even well. That's way worse than mine. Mm-mm. No, my, no. mine are just crystal skull. I mean, that's really weird. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> How? <laughs> no. It's it's I'm you know. Surprised. What are you talking about? <laughs> No, no, it's okay. Just kidding. No, um, it's special. I bet it is. I bet it is. <laughs> a crystal, a crystal skull. Well, it would have certain power, wouldn't it? As a crystal skull, wouldn't they exactly. have more power? Exactly. That's right. It's quartz crystal. I mean, just like the chip that's in every communication, you know, all of our phones and computers and whatever, whatever, yeah. it's holding yeah. a lot of memory. Yeah, it is. Well, yeah, especially that size. It's a crystal in a, in well, it's not a watch a isn't very big. It, it fits in my hand. It's like a palm size. It's not like a head size. That's okay. That's still enough crystals to run <laughs> 400,000 watches, you know. <laughs> For real. You know what? It's so true, too. And if I put them out in the sun and to cleanse them, I can't hold them for very long. I have to put them down. He will glow. He glows blue. And uh, it's like, if I hold them too long, I'll get a headache. It's too much energy. I see that you've given him gender right out of the box. Him. And the reason why is because he comes from Max. There's a story of Max as a, a have you heard this, right? Yeah, uh, I don't the, know. This crystal skull. I forget the full story, so I apologize for that. But it's basically this woman tells the story of how this crystal skull skull would talk to the owner and um when he died the owner told her to take the skull and the skull was in a bag and so now mm-hmm. she travels the world talking about this skull and the history of the skull and the magic of the skull and his name is max and so i you know i'm like all right i mean i <laughs> you know i've come upon all these like really fascinating things through prepare for change i have to give them credit for that but um so anyway yeah i took my kids and we went to her apartment where she did these you know like previews and talk about them and then she had like other skulls that were i don't know activated you know by the presence or something and and this one just happened to call me it was just crystal skull and so yeah i've had them for quite a while now and um you know, I put my intention into there, that memory. He's holding a lot of memory, a lot of intention. Well, I, I, I concur with that whole process. I, uh, I do the same thing with driftwood. Mm. Um, as I walk along the various beaches that I walk along, I do that, you know, a lot. Um, I'll find a particular piece, of, not a big piece. These are little, these are like six inches long, maybe yeah. two or three inches or a no more than a foot, but I'll, and I'm not, I'm not looking for, I'm looking for, I don't know what I'm looking for. It's not, I'm not looking for, you know, that looks like a snake or that looks like a, you know, an alligator. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for what I, how I feel about this, the wood itself, the form and how it feels. And I'll hold it for a while and think about it. If I, you know, I grab one that I like, um, I'll think about bringing it in and then they're around here and there. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, it's like my, it's like my security detail, you know, pieces of mm-hmm. wood or rocks or sure. whatever that I, that I appreciate and pay attention to. And 
And um, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, both maybe we're both really weird. I don't know, but uh, no, um, it's it's being tapped in. You know, understanding that we're not the be all end all, and everything else is a side dish. That's ignorance. Everything is holding intelligence. I have a spirit catcher. It was made by some some Indians I know. Dream catcher, I mean, dream catcher. They're really totally cool. Have you seen those? It's a round thing made of uh, of types of wood with feathers underneath it. Mm-hmm. And, it catches, and it catches dreams. They go by. I've got a really nice one that I use. Um, what does oh, it do? What do you think it does? I think it does. I'm not sure that it does anything other than uh, excite my brain to believe it's doing it and therefore my brain my consciousness how I think my relationship with the universe picks up scope with these things I it gives me scope uh, to expand I become more expansive when I believe that the dream catcher itself is working and then if I do that and I focus on the dream catcher then I'm giving the dream catcher some of my power and it in turn has been storing some of this power which it trades with me. So mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a bartering relationship. It's a trade relationship mm-hmm. that I have with this stuff. And to the extent that they carry stuff, I, I carry stuff too. And we exchange and we become force multipliers. Mm-hmm. And I believe that if you're sitting there, for example, in your case, talking to a tree, you that becomes a force multiplier between the two of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's because of the panpsychic relationship that you have with that tree. Now, I believe that's true. And a lot of other people that are as smart as you ever want to be believe that as well. And there's a whole bunch of people who aren't very smart who don't believe it. But it's true. There's a panpsychic relationship that we have with nature because of how we are constructed and how we operate in the universe. That's just how it is, folks. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. And um, to the extent that you can figure that out, you're miles ahead of anybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's what you and I do. We sort of work on figuring that stuff out. We just you have know? time to think. It's a blessing. Yeah. Just like just like reading. Reading, it's a luxury. You know, and and um, you have to really choose it. A lot oh, of people yeah. don't choose to read. You know, they choose to scroll. They choose to watch TV, and um, that's not where the intelligence is. <laughs> <laughs> right again. <laughs> yeah, right again. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I mean, some people may disagree, and to some extent, I disagree with myself in that statement because, like, my oldest son, he watches TV, but he doesn't watch TV for entertainment. He watches TV and he observes everything. He observes, he's thinking about what the writer put in. He's thinking about the nuances with the actors. He's thinking about what were the props and what is the the scenery that they're creating to give us make us feel a certain way. He's constantly, you know, yeah, diagnosing. Well, that's sort of going to audiovisual school. I mean, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. I mean, I I on Wednesday nights uh, I watch television because of Nova. Uh, is on national public television and it's always about animals and birds and whatever it is, you know, and that's cat night, you know, because I'll sit down and guy noir cat. He loves to watch you mm-hmm. know, TV on cat night mm-hmm. and she'll walk across the coffee table and look, get closer and look at the animals on the screen and he'll come wow. back and meow and talk and, you know, they'll chat back and forth, whatever. You know, I actually feel guilty that I never turned the TV on for the dogs. I never even thought about it. I'm like, you poor babies, you're so bored. Well, I don't think they're bored. They live in the moment, but you know, if there's if there's a, you might you might give them a little a little shot of Nova. You know, they can yeah. watch the elephants and the birds and whatever. Mm-hmm. Kind of like kind of like you know, get them out of Plato's cave, give them a mm-hmm. flashlight. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, I guess, you know, I'm their parent and we don't watch TV. <laughs> we think a lot. <laughs> well, that's work. I, spent... I mean, they, it works. I mean, yeah. your relationship, I've seen. No. With your dogs on video. And I know that it's healthy, you know. They're not yeah. hunting you. Mm-hmm. They're part of your, they're part of your tribe. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Definitely. This morning, um, and they know too, like when I'm going to meditate. They know. It's like, oh, we're going to meditate. And they come around. They do that. This morning, I spent over an hour in meditation. I could do that all day. I um, I was looking at it. <laughs> I, have a, I have a bottle. Let me see. I think I can tell you right now. It's, it's Buzz Lightyear. It's a, it's a extruded plastic toy mm-hmm. made by probably somebody of Buzz Lightyear. And it's... Um, Probably, uh, it's probably, um, you know, three inches high or something. I don't know what it is. One inch. <laughs> Why uh, do we need this detail? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> three inches high. Anyway, Buzz Lightyear is, um, is put his, has his hands on his hips, looking up and to the right on a stand. There he is. And I saw him right away as a, guy who tries hard yeah. and fails, but tries hard, but fails repeatedly, but always somehow wins. And I thought, I'd like to be like Buzz Lightyear. You know, I think that's who I am. I try hard and I fail, but I keep trying until I win. So this guy, you're talking about carrying stuff around. This little guy has been on my desk on top of a artist box that I have to hold my computer up since I started school. What school? Um, well, whichever undergraduate school I started, I guess. Okay. And uh, and then kept going through all the different schools. And uh, and I would have uh, had all these confrontations with the faculty that have become almost legendary now. And and he's still here. And so when I got the the statue of Betet from from um, wherever I got it from, the mm-hmm. you know the um, daughter of Ra, mm-hmm. and I I had the same feeling about that how important that was to me. So I put them together, and so now I have this thing about this this black cat, Batet, and Buzz Lightyear standing together. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> That's us. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah, that's, us. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why. But see, but you know what? You're creating what you're thinking about. We we create these emotional attachments, and then we frame it with a perspective, and it'll either service or not service. So for me, I'm thinking as I'm listening to your story, it's like, why did you create that for yourself? Why do you want to struggle until you succeed? Well, I'm not sure that I'm looking forward to the struggle. It's just that I, I know that it's part of the deal. It's not. And That's a limiting belief. It's not. I feel... How do I walk into these rat holes <laughs> these blind alleys? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because it's the way we, we think that we're creating our own reality and then we don't even realize, I did that. I did that. So, like, for me, I mean, everything is easy and effortless. I have time for everything. I have time for everything. I have all that I need to have all that I want today. That's it. It's that easy. Is it okay if I just struggle just a little bit? (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, the struggle, just the definition of the word, it means that we're, we're not able to control something outside of ourself okay <laughs> hey there's a lot of there's a lot of options there I mean where you want to start <laughs> I know <laughs> oh gosh they all came to mind <laughs> oh gosh you know and I we've only got it. an hour you know <laughs> I know I was going to give examples, but this is why, you know, the confidence level is so high because, you know, controlling other people is not my concern at 
all. Do or do not. People do or do not. It's it's totally up to you. But on my side of the fence, you know, I'm at the wheel. And, you know, and nobody can stop the car from moving. Mm -mm, I got this. And, and, and it's not a struggle. It's the, um, it's the lack of asking. So like, for example, you know, if whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, um, let's say selling the books, you know, you're trying to sell the books mm -hmm. and, you know, you think through, no, it's not. People are buying books every single day. People are buying books every single day. And if we say, you know, well, if I just, I don't know, make the excuse that people aren't reading or they don't read books or what, I'm creating my own reality. None of that is true. So what I need to do is ask for the answer. Just, just immerse myself into that world. That's all. And let go. It's no longer a struggle. And I go back to, you know, being me, meditating, being happy, feed the crows. It just sounds like I just walked into Utopia. What do you um, mean? <laughs> <I don't want> to. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's where I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, conceptually, of course, it's true. It's conceptually true. I mean, physically, it's true. From the, from the, I mean, if you even in the laws of physics of nature, of philosophy, it's all true. What you're saying, it's all true. Um, but what? But I it, well, no, nothing. It's just, it's just it, you just don't, you just don't get there. I mean, maybe you do, but I mean, you have to think about. I mean, I've, I'm um. Uh, I just have to work harder. Maybe. No. No, John. <laughs> we don't work harder. We love harder. Love is the answer, not work. Right? <laughs> love is the answer. It, 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 there's only one. There's yeah. only one. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's it's like when we think, well, that can't just be the answer for everything. It really is. It is the answer. We just have to figure out how. How is that the answer? That's the real question. But, but that's just the problem, is it not? Figuring out how the answer is be like reading your book and following your, your rules, right? Of love, it's right. It is a process because you have to keep catching yourself how many times you're not loving. You know, the reality yes. of that is, yeah, it's, it's concerning. <laughs> but um, the more you can stick to, okay, so this is it. I'm going to make a commitment. I'm just going to do this. And a lot of times you don't have a move because you have no idea how to execute it. The only thing you do know is I can't break the rule. So you're left not saying anything. You can't say anything. You don't have a move. And that is the hardest thing for a lot of people because, you know, your ego takes a hit. Ah, uh, okay. I can understand that. Mm. Yes, because I, because I have this compulsive, um, I have this compulsive need, I would say, to defend my position mm -hmm. or to, or to, or to something. Right or to or to or to you know uh, affect an outcome, to move it along, to do something. Right. I I don't have patience. Um, to, um... <laughs> Is that an understatement? No. <laughs> I... <laughs> yeah. Well, I just laugh because as you're mentioning these things, you know, I can shuffle them. I hope you're shuffling them. Are you seeing that? You know, the need to defend that's on the rules side. You know. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I, I, I get it. Yeah. Are you there? Yeah. I you? Oh, I thought, okay. yeah. They got, they went dead earlier. For... Oh. <sighs> yeah. It, um, it, it, in the end, it's, it's literally a commitment. And it's so I, hard to make that commitment. I think that the, maybe the problem generally, culturally, 
okay. is that people who who like me are in are in a, a, a position of of academics in some way, uh, doing research all the time, doing proof of concept, whatever it is. You know, it's just by design. It's tough because you're you're proving and disproving things all the time. Um, therefore, you're working at kind of um, I don't know, calling things wrong. You're just looking for ways for things to fail. I mean, I you know, I can spend part of what I do. What I what I did is I looked for things to fail. I, I, I tried to figure out how to make things fail. Therefore, I could move that needle forward with something else that made it better. Mm-hmm. But I kept looking for failure mm-hmm. because it was the failure that caused you to move the needle. It wasn't the success. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can fudge your way to success endlessly and end up with nothing but a hollow tower. We had to always fail it to make sure it was strong on the next move. And okay. So, you know, I'm stuck in that that revolving door sometimes. Okay. And that's understandable, especially since he led the debate team, you know, and made him number one. What was the statistics you gave in this book? Well, <laughs> first, uh, the longest winning streak <laughs> in the history of high school debate. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, taken before Congress as the winningest high school in the history of high school debate. That's yeah. crazy. What? I mean, that's, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> You know, so that that speaks yeah. a lot to obviously what you just explained. Yeah, you'll, you'll notice how you'll notice how good I am when I talk to you, and I <laughs> and I crap out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, because of trying to find the failure in love, you know, I can't. Yeah. Right, exactly. But to your point and how you break it down, it's like how do you find the fault in order to move the needle, you know, to the truth right to something better well all you have to do is literally take any situation in your life that you're dealing with right now that you are you know it's weighing on your heart you're struggling with it you're overthinking it whatever the heck it is and looking at both the rules and the pieces you you could you can go ahead and do what is um what comes naturally to defend yourself to blame something else right make excuses right make allowances for your own behavior and then and oh, yeah. then bulldoze people until you can cross you can do all that that's a perfect description of me what else do you want to know <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's a it's a typical operation so in order to realize well that didn't work because i just destroyed all my relationships you know people don't trust me they have to put up with me they have to tolerate me let's say i'm a boss you know, they have to, but they don't like me and they don't respect me. They just have to listen to me because I'm their boss. That's not a position that I want to be in. You know, so if we train ourselves to tackle the same situation with the idea that I'm not going to do any of those things, regardless of what they do or say, and regardless of the truth that I know, I'm going to handle myself differently. And mm-hmm. see how that works. And it's pretty amazing. Because the outcome is not just immediate with the person that you're, you know, you've decided to behave differently with, but spiritually, energetically, you get favor. Something else comes your way. An opportunity, you know, something that you didn't expect. There's a connection to the to the love the energy field and that's what you know when i'm saying the inside of us you know our spirit if we can break through the physical you know like imagine the light coming out of doors it's touching the light that is outside of us that oneness creates the magic and once you experience it you're just like i gotta do that again it's like an orgasm (laughs) but during some part of that process, someone like me would feel vulnerable. Um, to what? Based on, I don't, I don't know, just vulnerable, just in general. You know, um, I, I, as you give up control, 
as you give up control, as I give up control, um, there's a, there's a period. I'm I'm hypothecating here, but there's a period where I feel like I'm out of control. Sure. I'm never out of control. Mm-mm. Right. So that idea, that fear, the moment it's fear, you know it's wrong. The idea of giving up control and the inability to do so means that literally you're sacrificing your actual control for the fear of being out of control. When we choose to operate only in virtue, we are taking back our control over our life, every situation, every relationship, every outcome. That is where the real control lies. Yeah, what if a control freak comes along and just sees me as a willy-nilly willow in the wind? You know, they, they come along all the time, especially for me. I'm a woman. You know, people think that they can bulldoze me. They can diminish who I am, my character, my in- intellect. You know, they they I get it all the time. They think they can just run right over me because I'm attractive. And you know, God isn't that generous. You can't both attractive and intelligent it's one or the other you know it's I, was thinking, I, I was thinking of that i was thinking of that the other day i was thinking of that the other day about your history you know if you weren't as attractive as you are you would already be out of fight as a saint you know mm. but but um, because you're so attractive everybody that could you know save you is is skeptical right yeah whatever <laughs> yeah and you know what's what is a shame what is really truly a shame is the idea of wanting to find the holes in my cheese that's a shame because it's almost like the atheist doing everything they can to prove that god does not exist and that's what this you know defiant um, I don't know, projection onto me is that there's got to be holes in my cheese. And so they're looking for that when instead they could realize, stop doing that and just learn, execute the formula. Stop focusing on me and just try this. Well, the, the atheists won't try that until they're dying. Then, then they'll be doing it out of fear. So how much time do they have? Well, I mean, yeah, so. Is it instant? It has I really, to be instant I, or you're, it I has believe, to be. I believe there's an underlying pain that has happened in the atheist life to make them believe there's no such thing as God. And all it is is wrong thinking. You know, like you'll hear them say, if there was truly a God, why does he allow people to suffer? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, atheists have a real easy time proving, not, you know, disproving God because of all those obvious reasons that, but they all dead end the same place. And that's where you, I think you're in my, from my perspective, you're walking in another dimension and you're training people how to do that um, with your, with your, with your own introspection. So, I mean, you're not leaving yourself. You are, expanding who you are yourself mm-hmm. you're, you're an expansion of self into other dimensions mm-hmm. yeah then go beyond those guys i guess i don't know i mean i i get tired of the i get tired of the of the sarcasm of the atheistic sarcasm I, I, that's what i find tiring mm-hmm. is that they don't ever open up to novelty ever you know it's um well with the atheist you know you can argue till you're blue in the face about all the things that they argue about you know that that's their soapbox that's fine but i'm going to call you on it and i'm going to challenge you to do these certain things and if you are willing to do these certain things you tell me what you experience i know what they're going to experience and they're going to know it's love and the Bible says God is love. Ditch the whole book. If you can just 
take that one line and say, okay, well then let me get to know love and then I'll know God. It's really that simple, but people don't want to be challenged and they don't want to be, you know, I mean, atheists, whatever, don't want to be accountable to their own sign that they're holding everywhere. You know, they don't believe. Well then, do you want to believe? Well, okay, but then the atheists have got a point about war, war and peace as well, because because of how belief in God or not belief in God from you know from from Christians to Gentiles throughout history have created a lot of bloodshed. If these if these people who believe in God, so to say, are are full of love, then why are they killing the people across the mountainside who don't believe in God? Because their God is not love. Yes, of course, we understand that. But the point is that the atheists can pick that up real fast. You know, man is so flawed. Uh, The frailty of the human condition, you've heard me say that 10,000 times, but we are frail. And it's hard for us to pick up on something that is just, your your philosophy is almost too simple. Exactly. Uh, You know, it's, it's like, it should be more complicated. No, man makes it complicated. Man's, I know that. Yeah, man starts that. wars. And, and the bloodshed is from our ego. It's from money and power. It has nothing to do with God. What we seem to need as a species, we seem to need something to grab onto. Like, could we get a machine with your name on it? Could we brand it as a machine if someone puts their hands in the machine and it buzzes for 30 minutes and then they come out loving God? I mean, that I think we can do that. <laughs> well, you know, people talk about that all the time, you know, just raising your vibration. You got to raise your vibration. You got to meet that so that you can manifest this and that. Let me talk to you for a minute. You who is talking about that, how are you behaving? All I have to do is have a conversation with them and I'll know that they are, they are taking what has been written in truth and using it in the the 3d world of money that's all you're doing it's not for the greater good it the greater good is to make the most of yourself the greater good is not to go out there and package somebody else's material when you truly embrace the idea of love then you become it and your world becomes different you don't care about the 3d world anymore what they expect of you what needs to be done what you know i mean you don't put yourself out in front of the enemy to be shot down your world is different does anybody ever want you to join the chamber of commerce does anybody what say it again does anybody ever want you to invite you to join the chamber of commerce no i've been to the chamber of commerce a few times and um you know, I haven't been back. <laughs> Did they burn you at the stake or what did they do to you? No, no. I just feel like um, my energy level is kind of off the chart. I think it wakes everybody up because, you know, the chamber is. Um... About commerce. It's about commerce. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dull. Yeah. I had. um I had attended a meeting and they, they do this thing where they give gifts, right? People donate whatever it is they have. Uh, and I thought, well, I can do that. I can do that. So I took all of my books and I wrapped them in a ribbon. And I said, you know, I'd like to donate this to whoever. And they just looked at me like, huh? You're going to give all these books to one person? Like I'm stupid. Because I could have given more of myself to more people right? Which would have brought more money or interest or whatever. It's just not my heart. I'm not thinking like that ever. I'm just not. Yeah. You know, I was on a, on a zoom call not too long ago and, um, someone was asking, you know, well, how do I sell my book? Like where, how do I get my book into corporations? How do I, you know, do the corporate training, this and that. And my, <laughs> I should have kept my mouth shut, but my two cents, like the first thing that came to my mind is put your book in the library. And they looked at me like, yeah, nice. Okay. Next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, this is about books, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah. here's what you don't understand. My stupid suggestion elicited a, a response that told me exactly what that book was about. If it's not good enough to be in the library, you can't put it there so that somebody else can enjoy it with no benefit to you whatsoever. It Does it have any value? I just, I just got a thought as you're speaking. I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to um, manifest a conversation with Andrew Carnegie and have him endorse your book. Okay. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Because he's the one, the Carnegie libraries are all over the United States. Thank you. That would be lovely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, every human resources department and every corporation should have the book. Because there's way too many people. You know, oh my God, John. Oh my God. So I, by chance, landed on this podcast. Um, it was a Harvard, from Harvard. And it was about addressing the problems that upper management has in, within their organizations. And this the host, you know. So this woman comes on and she's describing her problem with her people and the diversity and how you know, the, um, the black communities feel that, you know, they're being treated unfairly because the management is white and the management doesn't, uh, respect them. And it's basically just do as I tell you and shut up and just trying to be the middleman or whatever. Okay. So whatever the problem is. And of course, to me, I'm thinking, well, this is a no brainer and, and I'm getting frustrated on the other side, just listening to this stuff. But my point being that the host who, what is the point of the show if you're not going to give some healthy, good advice to this woman who's telling you her problem, right? Mm-hmm. All she did was, quote unquote, coach. And so what coaching does is it just asks you the question. Here's the philosophy. I'm going to ask you the question so that you can come up with your own answer. But not everybody's a coach because they don't have, know or have the intellect to ask a deep enough question to get that solution they're they're too superficial they just keep reflecting and how does that make you feel so what do you think about that so what do you think is like oh my god (laughs) yeah 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 i know yeah yeah right the water never gets more than three inches deep it was grueling to listen to you know and and i just realized everyone it doesn't matter who you are where you're at in your life can benefit from this book excel in life just excel doesn't matter what direction no matter where you are i remember one of the first classes i took at harvard uh there was a woman who was a, the uh, professor and on the first day of class she um she comes in it was winter time and she comes in and she's got her coat boots scarf all of her gear, she comes in and she discusses. And so the opening class, she spends the entire class, and I'm not kidding, the entire class, undressing her outer clothes for the sake of the weather, discussing where she got her boots, uh, whatever was going on. I'm not sure what what, what was what was she was trying to do. Um, but when she was all done with this, adventure of taking off her snowshoes. Um, she assigned to us 12 TAs to help us begin the class, 12 teaching assistants. And that was it. She left. She, she didn't open she, she, Yeah, she didn't say one thing that I could take anywhere beyond how she got her shoes off. And um, that's, is that privilege? What is that? Is it privilege? It it could be entitlement again. Entitlement. And that's, we go back to the same thing, don't we? Entitlement. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a tenured professor at Harvard, you can go to class, take your boots off and rub your glasses and paint your fingernails and and that's fine. You made it that far and now you're entitled to do whatever the hell you want and you're getting paid. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah, I was not very happy, of course. Oh, I I had a course like that. Well, not like that, but the teacher, instructor, 
about how she's a perpetual student. So she never has to pay her school loans. Oh, that's in life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, this is what we're goodness. learning here. Okay. You know, and, and <laughs> this is why, you know, the education, the wisdom is really in books. It's not in, you know, when you, when you, unless you get a really good teacher. I mean, I'm sure you are an exception by far, but I'm just saying that it's the endurance. If you can endure those classes, if you can hit all the marks, show up, put in your work, do your presentation, and get to the end of the time limit, then you deserve that certificate. Yeah. But what did you learn? What are you coming away yeah. with? Well, because I don't. That's why I'm a big. Well, I wrote a whole. I wrote a book on the why I don't like transactional education, mm-hmm. um, and that's a whole other story part of my life, but. We're over our hour. Oh, geez. I didn't look. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> it's been a short hour. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. I love you. I guess we'll talk I later. I think we did good. I love you, too. <laughs> I'll see you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.